That's a great voice of the venerated jazz and blues singer Ernestine Anderson with All Blues from her 1983 album, Big City. It was composed by Miles Davis and recorded for his album. And uh, it just ran into my mind yesterday and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I'll come to that story in a minute. Ernestine Anderson died at the age of 87 after more than 60 years in the business. And uh, I thought it was her song and the, the various meanings of the words were just apropos for today. Because today we are confronted with uh, something for which we do not have an answer or any answers, period. And I'm referring to the huge shootout and shooting and killing yesterday in Uvalde, Texas, where families are still trying to cope with the enormity of the catastrophe that befell them, that in fact was inflicted on them, when a lone gunman, 18 years old, at least that's what was said, just and armed with uh, two assault rifles, invaded a full class of students, elementary school students, and had himself a killing spree. Nineteen of the students that he encountered in this class, they were just trying to study. They were there with their teacher undergoing education. And his purpose was to kill them all. And he did, including two teachers. Eventually, law enforcement officers shot him and killed him. Investigators, school officials, and family members spent hours in the grim aftermath, trying to identify the dead and piecing together what might have led to the mass killing, which occurred less than two weeks after another 18-year-old slotted 10 people and wounded three others in a racially motivated attack on African-Americans in Buffalo, New York. President Joe Biden bemoaned the senseless killing, but he had no answers. 
and nobody does. What accounts for this level of violence? What does it do for the perpetrator to just end life in many people at the same time? And it's a kind of sick secret. Imagine as they go into, you know, they get themselves ready for the, the, the act, which they and they alone know will occur because they will be the enactors of that act. that they will be killing people. That's the purpose of the whole encounter. And yet, they're calm, they're cool, they're very much in tune with the moment. I don't know what could possibly be the feeling that runs through your mind or your body or even your soul at that moment when you are about to kill people, a lot of people. You're about to end life, somebody's life or some people's lives. And you proceed, you're calm, methodical, almost robotic in executing your mission. You feel no attachment at all. Your only concern is to get a job done, a macabre job a sick job. Is this the kind of job that represents the ultimate power trip, the ultimate rebellion, this orgy of death and violence? And yet we come to this point Every time it happens, we have no answers. We have no solutions. We have no explanations for what to make of this or a situation like this. All we know is that by some means or method, we just have to put one foot in front of the other to see if we can get through it and walk out on the other side. It must do some kind of awful damage to a person to knowingly go about the task, the choreography, 
of ending several people's lives. It's not an accidental thing. You mean to do it. It is what you set out to do. To kill people. You and you alone know why. And you leave it to the rest of us to figure it out. Because we have no idea why. And even if we did have an idea as to why you might, someone might engage in this kind of violence, it doesn't help. Because the deed is done. The person or persons doing the deed have accomplished their mission. Maybe they knew what they were going to do. Maybe they were very conscious of what they were doing. Maybe they weren't. We will never know. In that moment, what was the state of their minds? And does it matter? The deed is done. One person has accounted for the deaths of many. That was what he set out to do, and that was what was achieved. And he leaves the rest of us mourning as best we can, trying to hold on to what's left of our brains, our hearts, our minds, to stitch them together again, if we can, and maybe not, if we are not able to do that. We not, we don't have that talent to pretend that this ghastly deed is something a person can overcome with time, maybe a short time, if we're lucky. But we've been down this road so many times before. I thought we'd talk a little bit about what kind of a society, what kinds of circumstances would one experience, you think, because we, I don't pretend to know, I don't know, that places a person comfortably, they're not uncomfortable while all this is going on, they're energized, they're focused. They must cause death and pain and destruction. That's the intent. We will probably never know why, even if they themselves were to express what they think is the impetus for this kind of behavior. They don't know. So 
where does a society go with examples of more and more people engaging in this kind of behavior, which increasingly takes a massive toll on those of us left behind. You don't have to know these people. You don't have to be related to them to wonder how would a person, say a person who just got the news that your little girl that you said goodbye to this morning doesn't exist anymore. She doesn't look as pretty as she looked this morning. And you can't do anything about it. Somebody went out of his way to do away with her in the most brutal and violent way. You are left mourning. You are left trying to make sense of things. You are left to pick up the pieces and pretend that you can put one foot in front of the other and continue to live. And you know you can't. You know you can't. You don't know what happened here. What caused this? How do we predict these events and head them off of the past before they actually occur with such devastating effect? Does it even make sense? We don't know. People in a particular frame of mind, I think, disconnect themselves from the world around them. And they become other people. They have other missions to perform, other things to do. And they are frenetic because, like many things, they've bitten off so much more than they can chew. And now, in the thick of everything, they have to finish what they started. This brutal act, they have to finish it. I was wondering what your thoughts might be in the, in the in the midst of a situation like this. What should our thoughts be? What should concern us? Is this something that's preventable? Is this something only that you could pick up as best you can, the pieces that are left behind and you try to patch things together to make a new 
reality for yourself, just so that you can survive from day to day. You don't know why. You don't really want to. The grief is just too much. And what did this little girl do to deserve this exit from the world, this brutal exit? And in the aftermath of it, no matter how much a system says it will punish a person for doing things like this, it won't be enough. It won't heal this never-ending wound. It just won't. It is now something, a scar, that you wear for the rest of your life. And you can't undo what is already done. How do you get through life with these awesome these awesome uh, loads that you have to bear for yourself and others because many people come from a situation where they are now looked to and looked upon to play the role of keeping everybody together. They have it especially rough. So I thought I would ask you, do you have any ideas about this kind of violence? What might it signify as a dramatic departure from the norm? What does it signify? Is anything doable about it? Could, could it be prevented? Or are we just kidding ourselves? The president is very angry, but his anger isn't solving anything. This is not one of those things you can say, well, put one teaspoon of this and a tablespoon of that. You mix it together and you have yourself the beginnings of a cure. It's not going to work. And on the other hand, you can't possibly accept this. This is not acceptable. This defies everything we are taught about how to live in a society, a supposedly civil society. What is to be gained by somebody flying off the handle seeking revenge? It doesn't matter because your loved one has been attacked and his or her life is already taken. It's almost comical to believe that you can get over it. 
So please share your thoughts on this day about what do you think we should be thinking? Put yourself in the place of the tragic circumstances that many people did not expect today to have to deal with. Did not expect that their children who are safely in school and their teachers too are no more. Somebody with a gun came in and dispatched them. And it is now left to us as a society to deal with it. What does that mean? How do you deal with something like that? How do you pretend this deep wound straight to your heart whether you're related to these people or not. You can't tell me you're not moved by the fact that little kids just coming to school. They're wearing those cute little dresses that they got from perhaps grandma. They're behaving themselves. They're very happy. They're learning something new. And in the blink of an eye, life ceases to be. And they're violently dispatched from this earth for reasons we don't know. But somebody had that power to exercise unilaterally exercise that power of life and death and chose death. Eight 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 seven four four eight 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 is the number to call to share your thoughts on this day. And as I said, uh, this is the second major catastrophe of the start that we have experienced in the last couple of weeks in Buffalo and now in Texas. This is not the way we're supposed to live. And yet we have no answers. We have no answers that matter. Because now, in a moment like this, the only thing that matters is the loved one you have lost. Violently, summarily, somebody decided to dispatch them from the earth. Somebody gave you a very deep wound. What is the justice in this? What is the justice? We'll take this break. You have a minute or two to compose your thoughts and call in and share 
what you've been thinking. At 888-874-4888, we return to each other right after this. You're listening to Lead Stories on prn.fm, where we're just talking through a major disaster that occurred just yesterday in Uvalde, Texas, where an 18-year-old is said to be responsible for wiping out a whole class full of people, including teachers, 21 people in all. And we contemplating, we trying to figure out what is the answer? What, what do we use for comfort at this time, a time like this? What do we what do we find solace, true solace in at a moment like this? Because we certainly can't solve the problem. So what are we supposed to be doing and thinking at a time like this? What's the best way to get through it? Henry from Chicago, you're on the air. How you doing? Uh, greetings, you trees. Thank um, you. To you too. You know. Uh, yeah, hello. Yes, I'm listening. Oh, okay. Well, you know, there's a you know there's a thing about being a father. There's it's a gift and a curse because uh, as a father of a still uh, child who who is in grade school. You know, you often wonder if they'll come back or not. And it's always in the back of my mind because of the fact that it doesn't matter what school, you know, my daughter goes to. Uh, it, it, it almost seems like it can happen anywhere. So today, you know, when I dropped her off at school, you know, I gave her a much tighter hug than, than, uh, than I normally do. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, I talked, you know, I talked to her about it and she, you know, she understood, but I don't know if she knows the severity of what it, how it affects me and her mother as a parent, because that's like the worst nightmare. I think uh, when I saw all of those parents who had to go to the morgue, and identify their students. I mean, they showed a picture of it on TV, and it just like, I was like, oh my God, I, I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy to be in that particular line to get into the morgue to identify their dead children. But it also speaks to the society we live in, because as you notice, majority of these mass shootings are done by... Uh, by young males who are less than 20 years old. And we see that it, it is impressionable upon these people that we live in a violent society, and this is what we promote. And so our children uh, are responding in kind to the 
society that we live in. Obviously, I live here in Chicago, and the perpetrators are getting younger and younger uh, all the time. Uh, we, we get innocent casualties here a lot, uh, not in a mass of, you know, 10 to 20 people like some of these other areas, but every week I'm hearing about a young five-year-old getting shot, a seven-year-old getting shot, 10-year-old getting shot uh, at a party in their own uh, apartment or uh, just walking down the street. So this is the this is the danger that our children live in because of the fact that we have promoted the society of violence because we demonstrated as a you know as a society and as a country. I mean we're sending thirty billion dollars for war overseas. We're letting cops do carte blanche killings on people with no repercussion. And we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're letting all of this go. And these children are taking this in uh, as a, a, a form of this is how we're supposed to live. So it scares me as a parent that even though I'm teaching my child, you know, the right thing, it doesn't matter uh, because of the fact that she may be a victim of a violent attack just by walking down the street. So I think what we probably need to do now, uh, outside of trying to, uh, and, and, and I hate when this, when this happens because every time a mass shooting happens, it always goes to politics. You know, they want to legislate gun laws and that that's not going to matter. I, at least from my opinion, it's not going to matter. The thing is, is that we need to take special care of our children and reach out to any child that we, I mean, we see children all the time, you know, even if you don't have a child or even if your child, children are grown, you know, reach out to them, be an example of what a civilized adult acts like. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, thank you for contributing. Very profound contribution, I must say. Thank you, Henry. 888-874-4888. Where is your mind taking you today in light of these events occurring that you can't even imagine how a community devastated in this way could get back on its feet and move on. It just doesn't seem like it could happen. Marcus from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, Utrecht. Uh, very good afternoon. somber, very somber discussion, uh, rightly so, I guess. Um, it does no good, uh, of course, to try to place the preponderance of blame anywhere. And no one has an equation for fixing this. Uh, and anybody that claims to is simply mistaken. Uh, but you, you mentioned in uh, your uh, opening 
monologue about it. Uh, the word that I, one of the words that I think is operative, and that is power. Um, this is a way uh, that this culture has provided for people of this particular personality bent, and there seem to be more and more of them who find it attractive as a way to get fame and temporary power, or at least to cultivate the illusion of it. Now, there was a much more, in my opinion, a much more honest uh, period in American history in the late 1920s and 1930s on things like this. Um, it was the era of social responsibility. Uh, it, you can go back and look at really the very first gang film, uh, James Cagney and Public Enemy. And the, the film is made in such a way as to show that he was a product of the society that he was in. And this was the consciousness of the left for a couple of decades in the United States before it was literally gotten rid of and abandoned. Uh, it operated on this social theory. So the idea was to examine how we are complicit, not in creating this person who commits this act, but how are we contributing to creating the atmosphere that allows people like this to arise so easily. That, that seems to me to be the operative question. You know, uh, Susan, the feminist Susan Brown Miller, uh, many, many years ago, pointed out um, the idea that the rape of, of a woman is, is not a, about the sex. It's about the exercise of power. And... I think, in, in my estimation, more than any other factor, these tortured, uh, twisted people who take it upon themselves to massacre innocents mainly, uh, I think, are operating from a sense of complete powerlessness, and this is a desperate grab for it. Now, uh, again, the context for this, the environment for this to arise, as I pointed out to you once before, the United States, since its inception, has been at war somewhere 93% of the time. We've killed many, many, many millions just since the end of World War II. Uh, uh, for, and we just accept it. It's not a topic of discussion every day. Uh, violence is the coin of the realm in the United States, and we all contribute to it. What, what was the last television program or movie or novel you read where a murder or murders was the operative factor of interest in it? 
we we all take part in that. So we're all guilty of rattling the bones of the dead for our pleasure. Now, we, uh, of course, during these periods, have to posture as if we're overwhelmed with grief and shock. And, of course, the actual relatives of the victims are. Uh, but for us to just adopt this, how could this happen? When we know perfectly well how uh, what the conditions are that we all live in that contribute to this arising is really ingenuous. Uh, disingenuous to me. Um, I, I wish we could go back to a view the left had for a long, long time, that in some way we contribute to this. And the solution they saw, of course, uh, with the early labor movement, the, the beginning of the civil rights movement, all, uh, the women's movement was, you have to remake the society. A peaceful world is not possible in this capitalist setup. So it, it was an insight that began with the person and projected out to literally trying to change the society and seeing that not as a way to eliminate things, it doesn't create heaven on earth or something, but the idea is to minimize the 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 chances of it happening by creating an environment where it's less desirable, where there is less of a power differential between the operation of the society and the people who have to live in it. So really, that's all I want to contribute. Again, there's no blame to be taken. It's simply a matter of, I think, introspection. Each person has to look how they are complicit to contributing to creating the environment for these sorts of things to happen. Other than that, I, I just don't think there's anything else we can actually positively do except to grieve and point fingers at each other and blame somebody, which is useless. Well, Marcus, you said an epistle right there. Thank you so much for Thank contributing you. today. Thank you. Ed from Queens, you're on the air. Hey, Hi, good Ed. afternoon, Trace. Good afternoon. Yeah. Um, this is a very sad day. Uh, I'm not going to get all esoteric and philosophical like the other callers. I believe there is someone to blame. And it's the gun manufacturers in this country. This country has a love affair with the gun. This country has a, has a missiles and, 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 and an erotic uh, porno association with gunplay and firearms. And until we make these manufacturers of these weapons that, that, that allow these people, that allow these sick individuals to go out and kill large amounts of innocent people, until we make them criminally responsible, this is going to continue. We're, we're, we're at day 145, and there's already been 214 multiple shootings in this country. Last year, there was, 600, there was 624, and, and, and it's been increasing. Since, since, 2000, since 2019, there was only 152. 
It's an increasing dynamic, and there are real things that need to be done. The president gets up there and he talks about he's upset. Use the executive power. Make executive orders. I don't care if they're not effective, if they're not totally effective. You use your power to do something instead of lamenting. That's why I voted for you. That's why you were elected, to activate your power and to protect human life. All of this lamenting and crying and philosophizing is of no, is of no consequence to those dead children. We need, to, we need to hold these gun manufacturers accountable. Because if they are held accountable, then we'll get a, limit, a limitation on some of these weapons that are, that, are, that are only classified to kill other human beings. And, and that's a concrete action we can take. And that's where we can put our outrage. Because the bottom line is, if he didn't have a gun, he couldn't do it. Okay, thank you, Ed. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate the passion with which you are saying it. Thank you. Gwen from New York, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Yatrice. Yeah, hi. Um, hi. Um, okay, I, I'm going to go back to um, uh, trying to think of the last caller that talked about. I, I, I have a friend that... Um, when he was a little kid, he used to love to watch the Jimmy Cagney movies, and you know his favorite movie was Angels with Dirty Faces. And he grew up to be a gangster, and he ended up going to Attica, and he ended up spending some serious time in Attica. And there was such a such a, a like a a reverent an adoration for the movies and the crime movies. And I think that. You can't, I, I don't want to see a not free press. I don't want to see, uh, you know, people not being able to have creative control. But I do think that, you know, grown-ups, we do something we call the nasty grown-up syndrome, and we exploit our children all the time. Because if there's money at the end of the envelope, we push the envelope. And, you know, we allow children routinely to go in and watch horrible movies like Pulp Fiction. When I saw Pulp Fiction, I thought that was so revolting that I couldn't even believe they actually made that into a movie. And, you know, people get more and more used to it, more and more callous about it. But I think that grown-ups don't consider the juvenile mind and that really children are not really fully grown up until at least, believe it or not, 26, they say, for, for boys. And so... These are very, very strong impressions that we are feeding into their heads, not just by the movies, but we have the Internet. And, you know, we say that, well, not everybody does that. I didn't do that. Well, okay, you didn't do that. But, you know, if you're some kid in school that's been bullied and you've been under a tremendous amount of pressure, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I was bullied. It was the most horrific thing that I could ever Remember, it was humiliating. It stayed with me for the rest of my life. Uh, I, uh, I, it was very hard to get over. And I'm not saying that I would have done something like that, but I'm just saying that I, I as a, a kid who was getting, you know, smacked around by 74 kids on the bus, could probably understand why, you know, a, a kid would feel uh, that maybe this is a good thing to do or maybe this is the way to handle it. But I think most of the time you have to remember that children that, that are this age, even at 18 years old, don't really understand the effects of what they just did, what is going to now happen to them. So they don't see the consequences. They see the, the, uh, the you know, spur of the moment kind of uh, gratification, 
and don't realize this is it. You just, well, of course, most of them, as I said the other day, do get taken out. They do get shot and they get killed. And again, with this case, you're not going to find out what happened with this kid. You're not going to be able to ask him any questions. You're not going to be able to, you know, find out if he was taking Ritalin or any psychotropic drugs. Well, maybe you'll be able to find that out. But I honestly still think that, you know, it's a bad practice for the police just to go in and be the judge, jury, and trial uh, just because they're angry about what happened. Yes, you're angry. That did happen. But we have a system here, the legal system, and, you're, and, and it helps everybody when we allow these criminals to go through the legal system so we can find out more about how to handle crimes like this in the future. You don't do anybody any good except for that instant gratification of getting some vengeance. But then after that, we still don't have a lot of information that we probably could have had. But, you know, I think that Marcus, uh, I, don't, I don't know that Marcus was making this point, but I'm making the point that in a, lot of, a lot of our media, which is so grotesquely violent, and so easy to get to. And really, when I go to the movies, I see little kids. Sometimes I even see four-year-olds and two-year-olds being taken in with their parents to go see the most horrific things. And I want to say that when I was a little kid, I remember that, uh, you know, my uh, fabulous brother uh, wanted me, there was a car accident, and uh, he wanted me to go down with him. And it was a horrific car accident. And it was so upsetting, and I did not want to see it. I was scared, and it was, uh, it was awful. And I uh, turned my face away, and I remember him kind of pushing me out to see it. These images left an image in my brain. I was really scared. I, I, and I was also, when I was a little kid, I was really scared of scary movies. I was scared of, and I don't mean scary, like, I don't mean like I was scared of them, like, oh, that's fun, and we're watching them. I mean that at night, I would go to bed and have nightmares from watching them. They were very scary. So that's me. Maybe that's not all kids, but I think that children are very, very impressionable. We are living in a, 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 almost a disgusting society with our lack of any kind of moral value whatsoever in so many places now. It's gotten so thin. It's, 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 our moral value is like, you know, threadbare at this point. Almost anything goes. I mean, yesterday Gary Knoll had something on about the encouraging senior citizens to commit, commit suicide for, for the good of the planet and population. I mean, really? So I don't know. Those, those lines, those moral lines that used to be, uh, a lot more clear and relevant uh, when when I was younger, uh, they've gotten blurred, and I mean I've lived to see how they've gotten blurred and blurred and blurred and blurred. And now you want to turn around and you want to yell and, and carry on about these kids and what they're doing. Well, I don't know. Did, aren't you just really reaping what you sowed? I mean, you put some really bad seeds into the ground there when you decided that you didn't want to stay home, you didn't want to take care of them, you didn't want to raise them, you let them go to everything they wanted to see or they thought they wanted to see. Most of the time. Grown-ups aren't there to really care for their children. They're out uh, doing their own thing. I mean, I'm sorry, but you really can't blame the kids. And by the way, you know, uh, at least one of these children the other day, uh, the boy that uh, went to the supermarket, got the gun from his father. So, and I also want to say one last thing about gun laws in New York City. It is hard for a person in this city to get a gun. It is not easy. You have to go through a lot if you want to get a gun, and you better have a lot of good reasons why you think you need to have that gun. So I wouldn't say that every state it's easy to get a gun. I mean, it's, it's easy to go to a gun show uh, in, in other states and get a gun. Yes, that's true. But if you were really uh, seriously contemplating on getting a gun, uh, the old-fashioned way, and you had to get the permit and everything else, you're going to have to go through a, a lot of questions and a lot of answers, 
and uh, it's, it, I just don't think that's an easy process. So I think, again, it's a, it's a culmination of things coming together, but more, we don't, we the grown-ups, we don't want to look at our partner. We don't want to think, we, oh, we'd never do that to our kids. Listen, Eutrice, in my neighborhood, the Board of Education was ready to tear down the most beautiful public school to get, to, to get a few shekels in their pocket when they, when they were 88% overcrowded. You know, and these are the educators. And I couldn't understand how the educators were leading the battle to tear down their own facilities. Really? It's crazy. So, I don't know. I think that uh, the, uh, I think the adults have a lot of explaining to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Gwen, Thank you. for contributing today. Lincoln from New York, you're on the air. Well, hello, you two. Hello, Lincoln. What's up? <laughs> what do you think yeah. of the situation? It's really tricky. And part of what I had to say, um, it, um, touches some of what Marcus voiced, but I must say first, you know, human lives have, the taking of human lives have become trivialized and normalized. And from birth, we are being taught that the way to solve our problems is violence. You ask a question, you say, how can this community come back to normal? And when you asked that question, it made me think of places where, like, say, Iraq, where a million women and children were snuffed out for something they didn't do. And how did they come back to normal? And how is this more violent than a situation that, like that? As much as I... It, it breaks my heart to hear that this is happening. You know, but how is it, um, how, you think about something like, you know, like the, 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 when the bomb was dropped in Japan and people were just snuffed out like that. I mean, <laughs> so callously. What is the difference between that boy doing that and someone just making a decision to just in an instant take away half of the lives of half a million people because it was just about half a million people who were killed in that when those two bombs were dropped in Japan, you know. And I'm not saying that. I mean, it breaks my heart because it's like I, last night I was driving and I happened to have been, you know, you know, veered into someone's lane and this person tried to run me off the road. <laughs> this person doesn't even know me and was trying to kill me for a, a mistake, you know? So I pulled up beside him, and I think he thought I was going to resort to violence, and I put my hand up in the air with a gesture saying, my brother, what, what's, 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 what's that all about? And he was shocked, you know, because he thought I was going to, you know, be retaliatory, you know? And he was—he he looked stupid because I said, "Hey, what, what was that all about? You don't even know me. You're going to just kill me, running off the road like that." And you know, that little—that fellow who did that, like what Gwen just said, we don't know if he was on Ridlin or whatever. Um, but whatever he was on or whatever the situation is, was something in his mind told him that violence was the thing to use 
to rectify whatever that malady he was um, experiencing in, in his head. You know, I remember as a boy in Jamaica, I, I remember when um, um, the, the Western movies became popular. And I used to see the boys, I'm talking about grown fellas, fellas who were academically astute, etc. They would go to these movies and they would come back and speak about it like it was real. And then I started noticing that a lot of them started adopting these things. I mean, it started like, wow. And I remember as a boy in Jamaica, that's when the violence in Jamaica, the gun killing started. Because a lot of people started imitating this. Grown people. So grown people could be doing this. What about children who are being exposed to these games where, you know, like, you just blow people away, or what they call it, um, blood splatter, or something like that, you know? I mean, violence is being normalized from birth. You know, we, we, we kill like it's nothing, but we only moan when it hits home. Because, you know, it might sound callous, but what is the difference between this and killing, wiping out a country by this country or any other country? You, uh, and it is, it is still intricate because there's so many variables like Marcus kind of a touched on. There's so many variables. One thing Marcus said, which I like, he said, none of us really have a solution. But I think maybe the only solution but it would be so long is if we could start to retrain society and ourselves, you know, to say, hey, just like how we have history classes that you say, from birth, let a class in love be, 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 be one of the you know, subjects. You know, the concern for each other. Could we have a, a course like that, like civics? We say, hey, let's have a course concerning love for each other, looking out for your brothers and your sisters, you know. And, you know, I even look at myself sometimes and I see sometimes I, I'm a bad example, especially when I lose my temper and I fly off of the hand verbally, etc. Because verbal violence is bad too, and it's not setting a good example, you know. Yeah, we should, you know, there's much more to say though, but... That's the little I want to say today. Well, thank you for your message today. Very inspiring. And I happen to agree with you. We have to consciously make the effort to turn the corner on this kind of violence, any kind of violence. Uh, it's not to be automatically assumed that we can do nothing about it. There's much that could be done. Thank you, Lincoln. Good that you called in today. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of our program today. And I'm glad that even though we, we, I could have listened to instruction for at least another hour or two, I'm glad that we had input on this question because it really has come to the point where it is, uh, you know, there's no return, no, no other way to do it but to get to it. 
we have to have an emphasis placed on how we treat each other, how we will live with each other in a society. And we have to stand up for the right thing to do as Henry is doing in Chicago with his children and Ed is doing and Gwen is doing. You've come through, many of us, we are only just now admitting it, but we've come through many violent experiences that have only scarred us. They haven't really taught us much on the flip side of the coin how to be a, a better citizen, a nicer neighbor. It, it, these experiences have only prepared us to be worse, not better. So thank you so much for your input today. I feel a little bit better knowing that there are people out there with whom I share a particular point of view. And we now have to consider what's next. How do we implement what we've been talking about today to make a bit of a difference in our world? Thank you, and let's get together tomorrow. Bye-bye.